I realized that there is a lot of mental stuff going on uh, as well that comes with a sport that is so based on aesthetics. And even my client who won bodybuilding.com's transformation challenge, you know, she won $80,000 yet right afterwards, all she cared about was the fact that she gained 10 pounds after it ended and, you know, couldn't even appreciate or enjoy that she won all this money. So that's where the whole mindful meathead comes into play, where I try to give my clients not just a training and nutrition plan, but also what I like to call a joy and inner peace plan, because the mental aspect is is so big. And, and, and for me myself, like it's been therapeutic for me to be able to learn and teach through what I learn about how to appreciate the body that you have and not just make it all about aesthetics. That was Sam Shorkey, and you are tuning into the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. Welcome, welcome, YT community. We're back with episode 119. I'm Jess, your host, and I am head yogi here at Yogi Triathlete, and our head coach, BJ, is my co-host. I'm an author, endurance athlete, vegan lifestyle coach, and educator, and the co-founder of the M21 Revolution, which is the ultimate experience in mindset training. You see, nothing ever in this life happens to us. No one ever in this life does anything to us. It's never about what happens. It's a hundred percent about our response and skill to see that everything is an opportunity. So if you're interested in high level living, then please join us. There's a link in the show notes for this episode on yogitriathlete.com. You know, this mindset of people doing things to us or being wronged or feeling unlucky or being taken advantage of or put down, it's all victim mentality and it leads to a massive dampening on our ability to live our fullest potential and go after our dreams. In the coaching biz, we certainly have seen this and it's one of the many concepts we dive into today with our guest, Sam Sharkey. Sam made history in 2014 when she became the first ever vegan world naturals bikini pro. Since that win, she's gone all in with her coaching and vegan product empire known as Jacked on the Beanstalk. She is a self-proclaimed fitness freak, and she is on a mission to show everyone that you can, in fact, get mundo amounts of protein on a plant-based diet, at least enough for one of her clients to beat out 345,000 other people and win Bodybuilding.com's Transformation Challenge just a few years ago. But Sam's mission goes beyond the protein because she has seen the nitty gritty, and I mean the gritty as in not so pretty side of bodybuilding and fitness. She works very closely with her clients on maintaining a healthy self-image in the face of an industry that judges solely on outward appearance. Man, it's tough, but again, I don't believe that anyone falls victim to the dysmorphia of aesthetic perfection, and I'm included in this. I've battled, battled with eating disorders and poor self-image for so many years in my past, but that, you know, we ourselves are there because it is our opportunity to transform from it. And that's exactly what I was able to do. Yeah, I sat in the muck for many years, but eventually I was able to use it all to my advantage, to completely transform. So I am so grateful that Sam is not just representing the body, but also the mind. And she's got some great tools in her toolbox, not to mention that she herself found the lowest self-esteem after achieving physical perfection, but she didn't give her power away. She gathered it up, picked herself up, and is now sharing what she's learned to the benefit of others. We tap into her bank of nutritional knowledge, including how to build muscle on a vegan diet, how to navigate the gassiness that can accompany a bulked up plant-based constitution, and she shares her sweet tooth and salty indulgences. We got a few great recipe extras on our Patreon page from Sam, so go check those out. Thank you everyone for the feedback from the last few shows. Uh, episode 118, which was launched last week with Coach Vance, is quickly becoming a YTP listener favorite, so if you haven't tuned in to that episode, go back and check it out. And I think that's it, you guys. Let's do it. Let's dive into our convo with Canada's favorite vegan hippie meathead, Sam Shorkey. But I did get super strong. Like, I felt super durable, I You were just say. saying that the other day. Like, the strongest you've, you've ever felt was when you were working with Sam. Yeah. 
So, and I, well, and I like keep to... Keep telling everyone that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And vegan. Like, you can do it without any animals. Like, mm-hmm. and still yeah, go totally. strong. Yeah. So, you're yeah. a vegan hippie meathead. Yep. Tell us, totally. Tell us a little <laughs> bit about how you got to be that vegan hippie meathead. So, how did I become a vegan hippie meathead? Okay. So, it... I would say I started as a meathead and became a hippie later on. Uh, So basically how I became a vegan in the first place, we can start there. I uh, was an activist from a very young age when I was eight years old. So basically I grew up in a log house in the middle of the forest. We did not have uh, cable. We had nature. So I spent a lot of time outdoors and we used to have about 40 or 50 deer come to the back property and they were sort of like pets to us. And, and, um, I really just kind of connected with them. And then every year when hunting season would roll around, we would hear guns firing and see dead deer slung in the back of pickup trucks. And from a very young age, I put the connection together. You know, why is it so heartbreaking for us to see the deer die, but we eat cows and pigs and chickens. And so along with my sister, who also works with me at Jacked on the Beanstalk, when I was eight years old, I said, I don't want to eat animals anymore. And thankfully, my parents, for whatever reason, were okay with it. And uh, so, you know, we were a typical country family. My mom made meat, potatoes and a vegetable every night for dinner. So my sister and I just ate the potatoes and the vegetables. So I was a very unhealthy vegetarian for a long time. I, I hit puberty really late, and I'm sure that was because I was severely protein deficient. And, you know, this was back in the 90s when, you know, uh, Eve's veggie dogs were the only things that existed. And I remember there would be, you know, pizza days at school, pepperoni pizza, and I'd be that weird kid like, hey, can I eat your crust? Um, and then finally, um, I went vegan when I moved to Vancouver, which is Canada's vegan heaven. It's like the California of Canada. And I started getting more introduced to, uh, vegan foods and there were a lot more substitutes there. And, uh, I met a group of girls who were running a vegan blog and I started being a guest contributor to that. And they kept saying, well, why don't you just go full vegan? And, I started doing more research about, you know, the egg industry and the dairy industry, realized that, oh my goodness, these these are even worse than the meat industry in a lot of ways. And so when I realized that the dairy and egg industry were even worse than the meat industry, I decided to go full vegan. And then I was dating a personal trainer for four years and it was a really horrible relationship. And after we finally broke up, I decided, you know, why don't I start, you know, doing more bodybuilding. I have all this time on my hands. Maybe I'll enter a fitness competition and show him, you know, the, the sculpted Greek God. Well, look at what I can do with my body. But I started doing all this research and there was not a lot of information available for vegan bodybuilders, let alone female vegan bodybuilders. So I had studied journalism and I thought, well, Hey, maybe this is a good way for me to start my own blog and actually put my schooling to use. So I created this blog, jackedonthebeanstalk.com, and I had a marketing background. And so I approached Vega, which we all know is a pretty well-known vegan uh, protein powder company, and they were based in Vancouver. And so I said, hey, why don't you guys sponsor me to do this road trip across British Columbia, and I'm going to compete in this bodybuilding competition and say that I'm fueled by Vega and blah, blah, blah. And as luck would have it, they were totally down. And so me and my group of friends, we drove 16 hours across northern British Columbia. We had a minivan with all these decals of like me lifting veggie dumbbells on the side of the van and all these like Vega protein bars and protein powders to give away. And it actually turned into this pretty big event where um, we were talking with all the locals and uh, interviewed on the local news station. And I always say I must have horseshoes up my butt when it comes to the vegan fitness stuff because somehow I ended up winning first place. And to this day, I say that was still the most difficult competition I've ever done. It was untested. So I was going against girls on steroids and all kinds of performance enhancing drugs. And it was my first ever show, yet somehow this little vegan ended up winning. And so, of course, after that happened, People were really curious, you know, what, what are you eating? What, what, you know, how are you training and blah, blah, blah. And so I started to develop a little bit of a following and then the plant built team 
which is based in the United States. Our tagline is the only thing we kill is the stage. Mm -hmm. And so they contacted me and said, hey, do you want to compete with us in Texas in 2014? And so I said, yeah, sure. Why not? I was the only Canadian on the team. And again, I really lucked out. And not only did I end up winning first place for my division, but I won the overall title, which made me the first ever vegan world naturals bikini pro. And so after that happened, I was like, okay, I need to turn this into a career and actually start making money off of this. So I went and got my personal training certificate and, uh, started doing speaking gigs. And then probably the coolest thing that I had happen was uh, one of my clients came and heard me speak at uh, an event in Vancouver. And she had driven or flew from LA and said, I'm going to enter bodybuilding.com's 12 week transformation challenge. Now, if anybody doesn't know what bodybuilding.com is, it, it is the largest fitness website in the world. And they hold this competition for anyone worldwide um, once a year, January 1st, every January. And she somehow ended up beating out 345,000 people worldwide and ended up winning $80,000. And bodybuilding.com flew me to LA to present her with this bag of cash. And so after that happened, I was able to quit all the random jobs that I was doing, hire my sister to work for me, turn this whole Jacked on the Beanstalk into an online coaching business, also complete with the Jacked on the Beanstalk gym gear. And now I've launched into food products. And then I created my own podcast because I realized that there is a lot of mental stuff going on uh, as well that comes with a sport that is so based on aesthetics. And even my client who won bodybuilding.com's transformation challenge, you know, she won $80,000 yet right afterwards, all she cared about was the fact that she gained 10 pounds after it ended and, you know, couldn't even appreciate or enjoy that she won all this money. So that's where the whole mindful meathead comes into play, where I try to give my clients not just a training and nutrition plan but also what I like to call a joy and inner peace plan because the mental aspect is, is so big. And, and, and for me myself, like it's been therapeutic for me to be able to learn and teach through what I learn about how to appreciate the body that you have and not just make it all about aesthetics. Yeah, girl, you're in the slipstream. That's an amazing story. Everything just Thank keeps you. unfolding and you just you just got to go. Like, And sometimes that involves having conversations like, hey, Vega, you should support me. Okay, great. And if they said no, you know, you just go to somebody else and you just kind of, you just keep picking up those breadcrumbs and see where it takes you. And I love that it's it's not just, man, it's not just the physical training. Totally. You can't just do the physical. Like, I feel like, are people still doing that? Because I feel like, how can that even be any kind of sustainable way to live a happy, joyful life? Because, I mean, I am the number one person that used to think this whole thing about happiness on the inside. I was like, yeah, right. Right? Like, <laughs> look at me. My hair's not good enough. My eyelashes aren't long enough. My waist isn't small enough. My legs aren't good enough. I don't even like that my second toe is longer than my first toe. I mean, it was like well, That's how a sign of wisdom, apparently. <laughs> no shit. Seriously. <laughs> Mine is too. So it must be. <laughs> but it was like, how can there be happiness in all this un unsatisfaction, like this dissatisfaction? How can there be happiness in here? And then, I mean, I don't even know, like just for me, it was just starting to have a few more breaths, like in the moment that I was living and not so much always living in the future and not always so much of like, oh, when I get this new pair of shoes, it's going to bring me happiness or this vacation or once BJ asked me to marry him, I'll be happy, you know, and once I stop, I'll be better when mentality, exactly. right? Exactly. And it's so not, it's, it's. If our happiness is based on the future, which is only a concept because the future doesn't even exist, then mm -hmm. couldn't it be argued that our happiness will always just be a concept as well? Well, exactly. And I, I always say it's the I'll be better when mentality. The problem is there's never an ending to that when. Mm -hmm. It's almost like it's almost self-sabotage. It's almost like 
I can't start I can't start the routine with Jack on the Beanstalk yet because I don't have the right attire. I don't mm-hmm. have the right gym membership yet. I don't have I have I have to wait till I get this new job. So it's always something that's getting in the space when in reality we're we're if you look at it we're self-sabotaging ourselves. It's like we're mm-hmm. not ready yet. If you dig down deep, you know, you're just not ready. Like it's just not time. So how well, and it makes it easy for us too, right? To make excuses, you know, and, and, and play that victim card, right? It makes it easy for us to accept where we're at if we can blame, you know. But the the victim thing is there's no power in being a victim. Mm-hmm. I was a victim. That person did this to me, um, you know, whatever. You just point the finger outside. And I never felt powerful when I did that. And mm-hmm. once you start to own it, you know, and, and own your choices and, and own the way that you're moving through the world. And before you can even own the way you're moving through the world, you have to be able to see the way you're moving through the world. You know, the words that you're using to describe yourself and the things that you want to bring into your life. And when we can start to look at that, it's so easy, I think, to see the blocks that we throw out in front of our path. Right. So how would you work with somebody? Because like, I see that a lot with the triathletes and athletes I work with. Like, Someone who, who wants to work with you, they sign up with you and, and they're, you've had the conversation and they're, they're committed, but yet they continually stall. Like, There's that continual stall. Whatever it is, like, you know, I have to travel for two days or you know, I was out late last night and I wasn't able to to get my session in. It's like that fine balance of holding them accountable to what their goals are that they told you versus life, right? Life happens, mm-hmm. but you got to find that balance so that you can, you can, you can carry those little wins and momentum so that you get your athlete to that final end point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think a big thing for me is I always tell them this journey is not just about self-improvement more than anything. It's about self-discovery. And I actually try to not get them to set specific goals because I think if they say, you know, well, I must lose 10 pounds by September 1st, that can be dangerous because then they're so stuck on meeting that goal and hitting that goal. And if they don't get there, then, you know, that just puts, sets them back. And, and I, instead I just tell them, you know, focus on every day, one foot in front of the other, just slowly moving forward. And, you know, there will be setbacks. We're human. Nobody is perfect. And so it's just important to like, give yourself a break and, you know, embrace this as, you know, it's, it's going to be hard. It's going to be challenging, but that's exciting. And, you know, just go with it. And if, if you screw up, well then, Hey, tomorrow's a new day and not beat yourself up over it. And I tell them all the time, like, in fact, the next podcast episode we're releasing is all about how we had the best of intentions to go on a family vacation. And I had prepped all of my food and I had even planned to do a YouTube video about how to stay on track when you're traveling. And you know what? We got there and I had this this vision of of running through the trails every morning. Well, I got there and it was like bug central. And I tried running one morning and I looked like somebody from The Walking Dead with this cloud of black flies buzzing around my head. And I was like, that was horrible. I'm never doing that again. And then, you know, I planned to eat all the healthy snacks that I brought with me. And the next thing I know, I'm like making, mixing brown sugar and peanut butter and like pouring it on popcorn. And my sister and I are laughing and we're like, okay, we failed miserably. We couldn't even do it. But you know what? Hey, we had a great time with our family. We're going to own that we sucked. We did not do as we planned, but hey, it happens and move along. You know, it's not the end of the world. You can always start fresh the next day. And it's just, you know, I tell my clients, apply a certain amount of structure with listening to your body because, you know, everybody knows their own body better than me. I can give them tools and guidelines and you know, hold them accountable by doing email check-ins with them and, and Skype calls. And if they need somebody to complain to or vent to, or if they're struggling, Hey, I'll listen and I'll try my best to help. But at the end of the day, your why needs to be strong enough to get you through it. And, and don't think that just because you've hired me as your coach, that means, you know, you're going to succeed and be perfect every day with your diet and exercise. You know, some days, 
if I have my period coming on, I want to eat a tub of peanut butter and watch Netflix. And you know, that's okay. If I'm doing that once a month, whatever, I deserve it. Why not? Right? So I think we all just are, are way too hard on ourselves and, and beat ourselves up and we get stuck in this black or white, you know, way of thinking where it's all or nothing. And it does not have to be that way. You know, I give you a meal plan, but if you don't like one of the meals on there, then we find something else that you do like. And and that's one of my best tips as well. Like I know that peanut butter is a binge food for me. And so it's not that I deny myself of eating peanut butter, but what I'll do is I'll, I'll not allow myself to eat it by itself. So instead it means that I'm going to mix it in with some protein powder and make what I call a ghetto peanut butter cup with it, or I'll, I'll eat it with an apple or celery slices. And that prevents me from finding myself fist deep into, you know, with half the tub gone in one sitting. Right. So there's like little tips and tricks that I try to give people instead of saying, Oh no, just get that peanut butter out of the house. If you're going to eat it all in one sitting, you're not allowed to have it because what, you know, what you resist persists. That's, you know, one of the golden rules. Like if you can't have something, you're just going to want it more. Right. Right. And it's, and the, depriving yourself, it doesn't work. It's not sustainable. It's not a sustainable way to change. So when we work with people on switching to a vegan diet, you know, they, they'll be like, Oh, but I, I just, I love the cream in my coffee. I just, I, I can't imagine my life without my creamer in my coffee. I'm like, all right, then keep it. Mm-hmm. Same. But re, like taste it and notice how it feels as you're drinking it and notice how it feels when it's in your belly and notice how you feel an hour later and notice how you feel three hours later Mm -hmm. and then notice it when it's coming, when you're pouring it out, like make the connection. What is it? Mm -hmm. What is it? Yeah. It's, it's, I don't even know what the hell it's called. Coffee mate. I don't even know what it's called, but yeah, (laughs) whatever, (laughs) whatever it's called, like that's not what it is. What is the product that's actually coming out of it? What is mm-hmm. it? Is it, you well, know? Most of the time it is ties to our childhood, right? And and uh, I did a podcast episode all about what your cravings tell you about your emotions. And it's really interesting. You know, typically people who crave salty, crunchy things, that's, you know, an angry response. So like they want to like sit there and crunch and, and bite away at things because maybe they're harboring some sort of anger or resentment and, and so that's why I'm big on the self-talk. I'll, I'll do exactly what you do. And I'll tell them, just have so much awareness around your actions. And, you know, I'm not going to tell you, you can't eat a, a, a chocolate cake before bed, but before you're about to do that, ask yourself, okay, why am I doing this? What do I really need right now? And is maybe there another way that I can get that instead of eating this? Or can I just eat one piece and then put it away or throw it away or whatever? But yeah, it it all comes back to that why. We all choose our actions. So you really need to tune into, you know, why we're making those choices. And we're either choosing them consciously or unconsciously. So Mm -hmm. we want to bring the consciousness to the choice. So I don't care if you fill your whole coffee cup with cremate or whatever. I don't know what the hell it's called. Um, (laughs) Coffee mate. Coffee, coffee mate. mate, yeah. The whitener, the white, which isn't vegan yet. <laughs> yeah, so I don't care if you fill your whole coffee, but just know that that's what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Know what know what you're putting into your body. Like it's chemicals and mucus secretion is basically what it is. And if you're mm-hmm. cool with that, awesome. Yep. Drink up. Yep. Drink up. But maybe over time you might not be so cool with that as you continue to eat more whole foods, right? Work Like working with you, working with us – crowding out the plate with more veggies and you start to change that microbiome. And I can't tell you how many people are like, I can't believe that I'm using coconut milk creamer now and I like it better. And you touched on a really important point that I always address as well. I I tell people, let's focus on adding rather than subtracting. So I will tell people, let's add more veggies to your plate instead of taking away, you know, the fries or whatever. You can have the fries, but let's have, you know, why not half fries, half salad if you're at a restaurant or, you know, just always think how can I add more healthy foods, add more healthy thoughts rather than subtracting things away. And I think just shifting your mindset to that 
can make people feel more comfortable and confident in themselves with making changes. Because again, it goes back to that, that, uh, restriction mindset. They're not feeling deprived because they're, Hey, I can eat whatever I want. I'm just going to choose to add more healthy things. Right. And it is our divine right to live an abundant, joyful life. Like Mm -hmm. it is our divine right to live happy and Mm -hmm. not feel that we're living in deprivation or sacrifice. So, and I think when we're talking about training for Ironman or training for fitness, now I'm familiar with that through my sister who used to, who used to do those competitions. And so I know like how I've seen how strict the eating gets. And so, you know, always going back to like, why am I, why am I doing this? What, what is, you have to know what that is. And and you shouldn't be trying to fi- trying to figure it out when you're, you know, at mile Eight. 10 of the marathon and, or at an Ironman or when you're, you know, two weeks out from your competition is not the time to be figuring it out. Yeah. You want to. And try not to make the why shallow reasons either, right? Because <laughs> they're not, it's not going to bring you happiness. Exactly. Yes. They're, they're short lived. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because your, your rawness is going to come out in that, in that deepest challenge. Like the real you is going to come out. And if you don't have that that deep sense of why you're doing this or, or why, why you're even here. Like it can get so deep. I've been out on that. I've been out on that run course in the heat, like dragging, like wanting to throw up and just being so raw and crying, like having cry, like <laughs> tears come down. It's like, well, why am I here? And then it just, it picks you up. Like, it's like, it's like an adrenaline rush. And then mm-hmm. it, you're not, maybe you'll come to your fullest potential, but you still manage to get to the end, whatever that end is. It may not be the path that you wanted, but you end up getting there. But it all comes back to having that commitment and, and higher purpose, whatever. Yeah. I, I love the, the why. And it reminds me of, I don't know if you guys follow Mark Manson at all. He wrote the book, um, this, what is it? The Subtle... Uh, art of not giving a fuck. Uh, I don't know if you guys, if I'm allowed to swear. You're you more than welcome to oh, say whatever sweet. you okay. want. <laughs> well, he has an awesome blog post and I realize the irony because it's called the, the meaning of life is a ham sandwich. And I know we're all vegan, but it's a really great blog post. And he's got one part of it that talks about um, the trap of setting goals. And he says, you know, it's the, the celebrity athletes who have a higher purpose where, you know, they start a charity or something like that that end up being so much more successful than the athletes, you know, who just get fixated on being the best athlete at their sport or whatever, you know, you have to have more meaning and purpose in your life than, you know, to just get that dream job or, you know, be on the cover of a fitness magazine or whatever. Like, so yeah, I, I agree with you completely, BJ. Yeah. It's the, and it's the attachment, right? So your attachment to that cover, my attachment to the time goal that I have and we ha- we have those attachments, but it's only when when what is what does true change happen? When does true change happen? Pain or suffering, right? Like that's when we truly change. But you can you can speed that up by just not attaching, <laughs> just exactly. detach from the like have the goal, mm-hmm. but detach from it. And and how you get to whatever that goal morphs to, like that's what it's that's what it's about. Mm-hmm. Getting, yeah, involvement getting... and intention, but low attachment to the actual outcome, right? Mm, I like that. Mm-hmm. So I've heard on your podcast, you've referenced several books that I too have read, like The Four, oh, nice. the four Agreements. I remember oh. I read that. It was, there was like a book club at this job I was working at when I was trying to figure my life out and what I wanted to do, I got this job like at a bookstore at a massage college and we had this book club. And so we had to read the four agreements. That was one of the books that you've mentioned, but more so is the Byron Katie work. The, mm. Have you read her? Did you read her book? Loving what is? Yes, actually. I love that book. And mm-hmm. it's all about like the turnaround, right? Mm-hmm. What we see in other people is actually a reflection of what is within us, you know, mm-hmm. um, like I wish this person would change their relationship with eating, right? Mm-hmm. And then you turn that around. I wish I would change my relationship with eating. And I think exactly. it gives us like a lot of clarity on the thing. So if, if you're somebody like I used to be at one point thinking, I don't have anything to work on. I've got a great spouse. I've got a great job. I've got two great kids. If you're in a body, 
you've got stuff to work on. Mm-hmm. Oh, like, com- agreed completely. <laughs> 100%. It's the people who say, oh, no, I'm good. I don't need therapy that are usually the ones who need it the most, right? Oh, I definitely needed a change at the time when I said that I was so grateful I had nothing to work on. And loving what is was a huge game changer for me because one of the things in there is the judge thy neighbor exercise, which I love, where you just take that person that pushes your buttons and you let it rip. Mm-hmm. And I let it, the, when it was first assigned to me, this was in my yoga teacher training, I remember everybody was scribbling away, going crazy. And my yoga teacher was like, what's up with you? And I'm like, I don't have anything to say. I don't, I don't have anybody that pushes my buttons. Like, I'm fine. I love everybody. And he was like, that's cool. So the next day, everybody's like sharing, you know, and they're crying. And some of them are like getting angry. And I was like, looks like it feels good, you know, like to just get it out. And so I'm like, I'm going to give this thing another shot. And I was like ripping through the page with the edge of my pen because I just, once I opened the vault, I just let it rip on this one person in my life. And then I went back and took this couple, like five of the statements and turned them around. And it was like, I wish, I wish I were nicer than other people. I should be healthier. I should eat better. Um, Mm -hmm. I shouldn't put pressure on people about being better friends, like Mm -hmm. all this stuff. And it was just such a game changer when you are able to have a practical application to see what you're looking at in the mirror is Mm -hmm. huge. So for you, like going, when you, when you came into bodybuilding, did you have this mindful mindset or did you learn out of pain? Did you learn out of like, wait a minute, I'm in this industry that's like judging the way I look and not what's inside of me. So Mm -hmm. where did it start to develop for you? Because it seems like it's a big part of your coaching. Totally. And it's also why I don't do fitness competitions anymore. Um, I always say that I was more confident and happy with my appearance before I ever even got into uh, doing physique competitions. And it wasn't until my body started to be judged and scrutinized on the most shallow aesthetic level possible that suddenly I started to develop all of these insecurities. And, you know, it's it's not that I'm trying to crap on the sport uh, but it's obviously very different from every other sport. And I use sport, the, the word sport lightly because, you know, with every other sport, it there is a clear, you know, you know who the winner is because there is a finish line. There is, you know, a finish line that people have to cross. Whereas with bodybuilding, it is solely based on random people's opinions of what they think is aesthetically appealing. And I remember my very first show winning first place, but they, the feedback from the judges was you're too lean for your next show, come in a little bit more full. So for my next show, which was, uh, provincial championships in British Columbia, I came in a little bit thicker. And then I heard, I was given the feedback, Oh, you're too thick. Your legs are are too thick. So what do you think I carried with me, you know, for years? Oh, my thick legs, my thick legs. Never once before I got into this sport, did I ever think that I had thick legs? And, you know, it's just ridiculous because you let these strangers opinions and, you know, who, who's to say that, you know, for sure, I won a lot of shows. I won my pro card. And yes, for that, you know, 10 minutes after that night after I won my pro card, of course, I walked around strutting my stuff. Yeah, I'm the hottest chick in the world. I won this huge title. And then the very next day, I had a photo shoot actually for Vegan Health and Fitness magazine. And I had drank the night after my win to celebrate. I had eaten a giant plate of pasta. And then I wake up in the morning and I'm like, oh God, I shouldn't have done that. Now I've gained weight. Now I'm going to look bloated for my photo shoot. And then of course, I look at those photos and, and I'm like, no, I look amazing. But in my mind, you know, it's, you're never good enough. And why? Because there is so much emphasis put on physical appearance that it's, it has taken me a long time to accept that, you know, right now I'm at a healthy weight. And this is another thing I think people don't recognize about this sport. It is not healthy for a woman to get her body fat levels down 
that low and you are doing a lot of crazy things. You're doing, you're, you're cutting your water completely for the last couple of days. And as we all know, that's not healthy to, to be completely dehydrated. You're doing things like carb manipulation. Um, and I, I, there was two times I did not have a period for six months in my prime, you know, I'm 30 years old and I don't have a period for six months what does that say? Obviously that is not healthy, you know, and, but people see these girls on the cover of a magazine where they have dehydrated, they've done all kinds of manipulations to their diet and their training to look that way for that moment, for that one day. But people think that this is an attainable look year round and it's just not, it's not sustainable. So I think, um, that is why, you know, I will train girls to compete, I, I don't have any interest in doing it myself ever again. And I at least try to be the best coach for them and do it in a healthy way. But, you know, when girls come to me and they have a disordered eating past, I will tell them this is not the sport for you because you're going to come out of this with far worse food issues and insecurities than you had before. So let's instead prep you for a sexy photo shoot where you're not competing against anyone else, where you're not comparing your body to anybody else. And you know, why can't that be your, your end goal? Right? So it's, it's, there's an evil side to the world of competitive bodybuilding that doesn't get, get talked about. And that's sort of my own personal mission where I I want people to be aware that, you know, it's not all uh, glamorous and, and a lot of people take, do this sport as a justified eating disorder. Like you'd be shocked at how many competitive bodybuilders do have major body dysmorphia and eating disorders. But I love that you're like, you're not outside protesting. Like you're, you're going to help people get there, but you're bringing in this, this new angle and you're bringing in the mindfulness to it. And you're being really upfront with the fact of like, okay, if you're doing like, if you are already going down this dark path, like this is going to take you to rock bottom. And maybe some people need to, I mean, I needed to get to a rock bottom, you Mm -hmm. know, to, to shift the way that I think about myself. And, you know, I was out on a run the other day with a couple of women and they were talking about their bodies and, and they asked me something and I just like, without hesitation, I just said, I love my body so much. It is so amazing. And they just kind of like, it was like, I don't think they're used to hearing women say that. <laughs> and it yeah, was well, not many of us are. And the, the whole world of advertising, you know, makes us think that we should all hate our bodies, right? That's right. why it's a multi-billion dollar industry. And nobody's putting me on the cover of a magazine, let me tell you. Like, I'm 46 <laughs> years old. There's like, it was, I did a, a live video the other day. I was making a smoothie and I did this thing where I shook my arm and my tricep was like, it was like a porch swing. <laughs> and I remember I watched it because I wanted to write the recipe down. And I at first I was like, oh, and then I'm like, no way, man. I love that thing. Do you know how many strokes that arm has given me in the pool and in competition and in sport? Like, so what if, if people want to get on it and go for a porch swing? You know, like, who cares? Like, this body is amazing and it's healthy and it's it's harmless. I'm not harming anybody with what I fuel it with. And, um, you know, that's not, was not always the case for me. I mean, I can pull out old diary entries where it's just like, I hate me talking to myself. I hate you. I hate you. You're ugly. You're fat. You're disgusting. Nobody should love you. I mean, just horrific things. And, And um, when BJ and I moved out to California, we got rid of pretty much everything we owned. And I remember going through those journals and like, I need, I need to pull these pages out because remember when we were in the Mm -hmm. basement and I was reading you some of it, you were like, that's insane. (laughs) That's so mean. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's not talked about enough that we think about those things about ourselves and they are not true. Mm -hmm. And this is probably years ago, right? Before social media. Oh, this was was years ago. Yeah. 
right? Like now I feel so bad for young girls where they're just bombarded and young men too, you know, no wonder that eating disorders and and body image issues are running rampant with all these, you know, photo editing apps and Instagram and everybody wants to be an Instagram superstar and YouTube star and fitness models. And, you know, it's just creating, it's, it's so sad what is out there and, and like, it's crazy. And I'm sure you guys get it too, where I will have, you know, 18 year old girls reach out to me and say, okay, I want this girl's abs and this girl's butt. And, you know, it's just, it's so sad and scary that, you know, okay, let me just, you know, wave my magic wand and give you this perfect ideal body that, you know, this woman has completely different genetics from you, but sure, I'm, I'm, you know, a magic worker. Right. And who knows what's going on within that person's life, right? Like we want what other people have, but I think if we really were able to look underneath the surface, we wouldn't, we'd be like, okay, I'm good. I'm good with what I've got going on. I'm good. And you know, one thing that I learned from being a massage therapist for a long time is that everybody's got something. Everybody's Mm -hmm. got something. Like I remember one time I worked on this person. She was like a model. She would like, she would walk into a room and you would think, oh my God, her life is perfect. And I remember (laughs) she had this crazy birthmark with like black hair growing out of it. And I was like, everybody's got their thing, man. Mm-hmm. Check this beautiful, check this beauty out, you know? Like, and just, I would just notice that about people and that I was like, wow, everybody has their thing. Mm-hmm. And um, so the grass is not always greener. Just because somebody's ass looks good doesn't mean that we def- we want to be owning that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, social, that's, that's social media in a nutshell. That's, it's only the good things. Like they should have an alternative what was that in Seinfeld? Yeah. Like the alternative, yeah, the alternative universe. <laughs> universe, uh, right? <laughs> like let's let's show let's show not your one day where you look amazing. Let's show the mm-hmm. three hundred and sixty four days where yeah, things exactly. are pretty. Tough. When you try yeah. steps swinging back high- and forth, <laughs> exactly. No, I always say Instagram is everybody's highlight reel. You know, but nobody sees us sitting on the couch in, you know, ugly flannel pajama bottoms and you know no makeup on. Yeah, of course not, right? Right. All right, so. We've talked about kind of a little bit of the, about the mindfulness, but let's talk about how do we fuel as athletes in a healthy, sustainable way. So whether that's we're getting ready for we want to put muscle on or, uh, you know, Ironman is, is about strength. So if we're talking just about physical, Ironman is, is about physical strength. We need to be strong to do this. And you worked with BJ a couple years ago. When did you, why don't you tell that story? Yeah, I, yeah, I was coming off of... What's that? Promote my coaching to your audience, <laughs> BJ. <laughs> I was coming off Jeff of... Jeff on the beanstalk.com. <laughs> uh, uh, 2015, I was coming off two Ironman races, uh, th- two Ironman races, one half Ironman, and I, I kept suffering through the same thing on the bike, which was you know lower back pain, and this was after I had recovered from my, my injury, which was lower back pain, which turned into sciatica. And... Which turned into rock bottom. Which turned into rock bottom. Right. <laughs> changed my whole world. And I wanted to get stronger. It was like my breaking point. It was like, okay, you've, you've done this over and over again. Like, well, what do you need to do? I need to get stronger. And I always talk about that. And so I, I think I referenced, I was speaking with you. I'm like, I'm going to find somebody. I'm going to get online. I'm going to find a bodybuilder, like somebody who knows strength. And I want to get a vegan bodybuilder. And when I Googled those two things, you came up. Um, yeah, of course. <laughs> I SEO like a champ. <laughs> <laughs> and so I contacted you, you got right back to me and we set up a plan and we, we started right away. I think it was like the second or third week in January. And so this was downtime for me as an Ironman athlete. I had an Ironman in July of that year. So my plan was to go January, February, March, maybe into April, four months of like strength training. And, uh, and you gave me an awesome, amazing plan. It was, I think it was six days of weightlifting and I did it every morning. Some days, yeah. some days before <laughs> the pool. And so this is where things got, things worked, things got a little um, customized with you and me because I'm an Ironman athlete. So I needed to swim, bike and run. I didn't need to do the volume I had been doing, right? Mm-hmm. I needed to just keep those engines running, but I, but I needed to get the strength and, and pack on a little weight. And during that time, you were so 
um, agreeable to that and helped me out. Like, okay, maybe you don't need to do this treadmill session. Like you're already going to be running. You're going to be doing yoga. You're already doing all this other activity. Like cardio is fine, but you need, do need to do this stuff. So get in the gym. And I had, I want to say six days. I think you had me on six days. Does that sound right? Yeah, probably five or six. Five or six days. And I was going every morning to the gym and either would do it after my swim or before my swim. And it just, it, it struck a chord in my brain. I think after the first week, you know, after the soreness goes because triathletes don't normally lift heavy weights. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But it struck a chord in me that, that whatever was happening was, it was a belief that I was, I was getting stronger. Like Mm -hmm. just the fact of lifting heavy weight consistently for five or six days triggered something that's like, okay, like I can, something's connected here. Like there's, there's something to this. And then it was like three weeks later, I swam in the, I swam in the pool and I did a really, really hard set and my shoulders and upper body, I just felt like so monstrous on the pole. Like there was no uh, shakiness or fragility. Like I didn't feel like a, a piece of glass. You were jacked on the beanstalk. I was jacked on the beanstalk. (laughs) No, that was just the training. Yeah, that was just the Just the training. But the meal plan was super awesome because it just opened my eyes. I'm pretty much, uh, I like to stick to certain things like over and over and over again. You were a carboholic, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) And see, and I always tell people I am a, a very much so a meathead. I'm just a meatless one. So I eat very much like a bodybuilder. I just replace the dead animal sources with, with plant-based options. So it's probably a lot more protein than you were used to. Yeah. I mean, we were buying stacks of tempeh packets at Whole Foods <laughs> and beans. It was like a can of beans was open every day. Um, <laughs> Did you enjoy that, Jeff? <laughs> uh, I was having a little, because he would come home. Like he had all these Tupperwares and he'd come home and he's like, I am so full and I was supposed to eat already again, and I've still got food left. Like, it was because you're eating so much fiber. Mm-hmm. So, how does that work? Like, when you're mm. trying to put muscle on and you're eating so much fiber, and we know fiber is really what creates the feeling of, of being satiated, that like you're full. Um, or really farty. Yeah, or mm-hmm. really farty. <laughs> and so, how, do you, how are you getting the muscle built with the amount of calories that you need to eat with all the fiber. Like what is your recipe? What is, what do you find in your, cause you're still putting on the muscle and you're very, very strong. How are you finding that balanced diet to keep maintain the muscle or to put on more muscle when you want to do that? Well, I think, yeah, most vegans, I hate to agree with with the stereotype that everyone likes to think about vegans that, oh, they don't get enough protein. Uh, And I do eat a lot of protein. And so with my clients, if their goal is they want to build muscle, I'm going to have them eating a certain amount of protein at every meal. And I go with the leaner sources. So that's either going to be tempeh or tofu or lentils are a really great source. Um, They're the highest in protein of all the beans and legumes. Um, And then seitan, if you can do gluten, is an awesome protein source. You got 23 grams of protein per quarter cup of uh, vital wheat gluten flour and then protein powder. Protein powder is a big part as well. Um, and yeah, I think it just depends on the person's lifestyle. So I knew that BJ was burning a lot of calories with his Ironman training. And I knew that if I was going to have him in the gym five or six days a week, that's, you know, he's uh, exerting a lot of calories through his training. So he's going to have to eat even more than that, more calories than he's burning off. So yeah, of course he was probably stuffing himself. Um, but then it's amazing, like, cause a lot of my clients who their goal is to actually lose weight. I always start my clients on a relatively high amount of calories because I always say it's going to be easier for me to scale back on food then to start you in a deficit and then have to add calories later on. That's how you end up screwing up your metabolism. So I would rather start people with 
um, you know, a caloric surplus. And then we can scale back accordingly and we can do things like adding in more, more cardio, decreasing the calories. But most people, when they decide again, going to that all or nothing mentality, they're like, Oh, I want to lose weight. So I'm going to instantly start starving myself and doing, you know, an hour plus of cardio every day. And then they wonder why their metabolism is all messed up. So, um, BJ, you were probably enjoying eating all that food, I guess, too, right? Because I mean, you definitely weren't deprived. (laughs) No, I wasn't, I wasn't deprived. I was eating, like you said, like you talk about two to three hours every day, I was eating something. And, and I think, I think the key meal too, is that late afternoon meal, like before I would do another workout at night, like maybe in my days at, at, at work, I would kind of skip that, maybe have an iced coffee. And that in my mind was like, okay, that's my meal. Like, okay, then I can get to my workout. But it was like eating that afternoon meal. And I can say there were, there was one instance where I tried to eat everything that you had prescribed, like everything. Mm-hmm. And I want to say it was just because of a, let me finish that thought. I wasn't able to complete it. Like I got close to all the calories, but I couldn't complete it just because of my fullness. But I also want to say that was because of years and years of being in triathlon and maybe my metabolism and my stomach was just absorbed. It was just fit to what I had been eating over the years. Like mm-hmm. if I eat 2000 calories a day, then my stomach is probably going to be fit to 2000 calories a day. Where I, whereas I start to, to force in 4000. Whoa. Like it's like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Mm-hmm. So I would say if I were to stuck stick with the program, I probably would have e- eventually gotten to that point where I could have absorbed all of that food mm-hmm. that you had prescribed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And then yeah, and it comes back to again like listening to your body. I always tell my clients I don't want you stuffing yourself to the point that you're like uncomfortably full. And I don't want you starving yourself either where you're thinking about food constantly. It's that's why everybody fills out a questionnaire. I really assess, you know, what their activity level is, what their lifestyle is like, what their goals are. And then we, you know, adjust accordingly. And, and, you know, maybe it is a lot of food to start and then, you know, it's just communication. Let me know. And then we can scale back and and find some, that right formula, right? Because everybody, is different. And, you know, I don't always know what's best to some people. I think it's going to be not enough food. And then they're saying, you know, that they're stuffing themselves. So everybody's metabolism is different. But when it comes to building muscle, my kind of theories are always, yeah, protein with every meal, uh, watch the fats and then carbs. You definitely want to have a good source of starchy complex carbs before and after your training and, or at least keep them early in the day so that you're able to burn them off. And I'm sure it's similar with you guys. I would imagine you're eating, you know, sweet potatoes and oats and, and, uh, you know, quinoa and all those good starchy complex carbs when, before you're doing your big races too, maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, yeah we do. <laughs> yeah, we exactly. do. I mean, that's what we just, we just pile up on that stuff and it works. And you know what? There's no stomach GI issues at all when you're, when you're out there for 10 to 12 hours in the heat, like pushing your body, like when you, and we don't do that all the time. We do it before our races. So to your point, it's like before the big workout, like that's what we do. We eat that because we know 99% of the time we're eating greens and fiber mm-hmm. and like an array of foods. But mm-hmm. that that window right before a race, it's key for, for at least what we found is the key to, to uptake on the carbs because it just, it's simple processing and your stomach has, we've had no issues in the 10 or 12 years we've been doing this. Right. Oh, and I forgot to touch on the fiber Uh, question that Jess asked me. So I somehow have have made a name for myself as, you know, the expert on farting and bloating in the vegan bodybuilding community. So if everybody is wondering, I suggest go check out my blog post called the vegan bodybuilders guide to farting and bloating, because very common and and new vegans experience this as well suddenly you're eating a lot more fiber than you're used to. And if you're a vegan bodybuilder, suddenly you're eating a lot more protein and fiber than you're used to. So a couple tricks that I always recommend. First of all, make sure you're drinking a lot of water so that you're able to pass all of that fiber through, except that you're going to be going to the bathroom more than usual. But that's not a bad thing. Like if anything, you know, I I know bodybuilders who eat meat and they would go up to eight days before a competition without taking a crap eight days. And I was like shocked. I'm like, if I don't go in eight hours, I think something is wrong. So 
Yeah. Like, and then you just think, you know, it's, it's such an acidic diet too. all of that dead animal, you know, and you want to think, stick to the alkaline stuff, like all the greens, like, you know, having lemon water first thing in the morning. And so with the fiber thing too, and, and to prevent farting and bloating, I always recommend to my clients first thing every morning, have a big glass of lemon water with a digestive enzyme and a probiotic. And that's just going to really help with all digestion, help your body to metabolize the fats and the carbs and the protein. And usually after a couple weeks, it'll get better just on its own anyways, because your body will adapt to the higher amounts of, of fiber and protein, but also doing the enzyme and the probiotic will help a lot. And then like sticking with like, don't be eating a ton of raw broccoli or Brussels sprouts, you know, cook that stuff because they are cruciferous veggies and they do contain um, a special uh, sugar molecule that our bodies can't break down. So what happens? It ferments in the gut and it is going to cause digestive issues. So cook your cruciferous veggies, stay away from all of those artificial sweeteners that also cause, you know, uh, fermentation in the gut. And, um, yeah, try not to chew gum because that also can, can cause issues and it's putting, you know, gas into your, your stomach. So that's not going to be your friend, but yeah, go check out that article because there's all kinds of tips and tricks in there for people who are farty bloated vegans. <laughs> and I feel like so many people, I know my sister used to chew a lot of gum when she was training for the fitness competitions. Cause it would mm-hmm. like, it was like something like for her to do to pretend that she was actually eating. Exactly. But And I did it too. But you know what? It actually makes you even hungrier because it's giving your body a fake signal that it's getting food, that it's getting sugar, and it's just going to make you – it's like, wait a minute. You're actually not feeding me. What the hell? And then so it's just going to make you want real sugar and more actual, you know, satiating calories. So now you, I know you have a little sweet tooth. And I have to tell you that right now in my refrigerator, I have some chocolate protein pudding – that I'm, yeah, because I'm having like a sweet tooth this afternoon and I heard on your, one of your um, talks that you make this and then you throw peanut butter on top, right? Because not Mm -hmm. just have the peanut butter by itself, but have the peanut butter with something. But what, Mm -hmm. besides that, or maybe that is your favorite, what's like your favorite go-to sweet that is, you know, not, that's whole foods that you, that, that's, that you're making that's not going to hurt you, harm you. Yeah. So I uh, usually on all of my client plans, if they have a sweet tooth, I always ask them, are you a sweet tooth or a salty tooth? If they're a sweet tooth, my go-to meal for them. And this is a great thing to have before bed because it's just protein and fats. It's exactly what you just said. Uh, Get a scoop of chocolate protein powder, mix it with just enough water or your dairy-free milk, whatever that favorite one is make pudding like consistency with it and then do a glob of peanut butter on top. People either love it or they're like, what are you talking about? That is disgusting. I personally love it. Um, and then if you're a salty tooth, I actually created a new product called uh, the Jacked on the Beanstalk Savory Vegetable Granola. And it is available at jackedonthebeanstalk.com. And it is basically you've got dehydrated kale, red pepper, um, in there, a little bit of oats, lemon roasted almonds. And so when people are craving chips or like crackers at nighttime, I tell them you binge on this instead because you're getting tons of fiber, tons of uh, veggies in it. And it's, it's very flavorful. So it's just about finding substitutes. I'll never tell people, you know, you can't eat, you know, something, but let's just find something that is a healthier option that works. And then other favorite desserts, I love baking with protein powder and chickpeas or beans. I love black bean brownies. There's a really healthy black bean brownie recipe on my blog. I love making protein balls and you can make them so easily just mixing scoop of protein, some kind of a nut butter, a little bit of sweetener. You can even do stevia if you're really trying to watch the sugar and the calories and yeah, throw in some cinnamon, some vanilla extract. Uh, you could do like like chocolate chips and yeah, always coming up with like a bean base or a protein powder base. That's kind of how I justify making an entire tray of something and eating it in one sitting. Oh, we, we, <laughs> speaking of. Speaking of, your chickpea blondies. Oh, yeah. We've, we've referenced those, <clears throat> excuse me, numerous, numerous times. And oh, really? They awesome. are n- never uh, tossed back in our face. They're, they're, um, yeah. they're so well accepted. They're so, so good. 
and so healthy, right? And speaking of high fiber, high protein, so they will satisfy you and they will fill you up. They're so good. The only thing that I say about that recipe when I share it is I say, we do not believe that the chocolate chips are optional. Okay, I agree. I, I know, but I, I mean, I know you have I to have. do it for the masses. <laughs> Sometimes we have to say things that, you know, we don't, you know. Sometimes yeah. we double the recipe, but only the chocolate chips. But only the chocolate yep. chips. Oh, yeah. I, hey, you're preaching to the choir. <laughs> I always put chocolate chips, too. And we use the me- the good life mega chunks. Enjoy Ooh. life. You, yeah. Oh, yeah. enjoy life, yeah. right. Yeah, oh, yeah they're amazing. Are. Yeah, those protein blondies are so incredible. And so we'll put... We'll put a link to that. We'll put a link notes. to all this stuff. What were you going to say? That's it. All right. Yeah. We'll link so to where that. can people find you? Jacked. So it is jackedonthebeanstock.com. All my socials are there. I try to be really active on all the socials as time consuming and life consuming as it is, but I love it. And uh, yeah, jackedonthebeanstock.com is where you can find me. Awesome. And are you coming? To, are you doing any shows or any speaking, any veg fests or anything like that coming up? Um, I've been asked to speak at... Peterborough Veg Fest here in Ontario. I don't know if any of your listeners have any idea where Peterborough is, but I'm also going to Vegandale uh, August 11th and 12th in Toronto, which is the biggest food festival for vegans in Canada. So uh, that one I'm not speaking at. I'll just be hogging out. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) And check out Sam's podcast. I love it. I love it. You You guys are, uh, yeah, it's, uh, there's no censor on it. And I totally no. dig it. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Awesome. Cool. Thank Thanks, you so Sam. much for being our first remote. Yeah, thanks for having me. I think it's working out pretty well. Awesome. Yeah. I am so grateful for this girl's plant muscle wisdom. I hope you found this to be helpful. She has a ton of recipes on her blog and great posts along with her podcast. So definitely check it all out at Jacked on the Beanstalk for more ways to connect with Sam. And you may or may not have figured out this was actually our first remote podcast that we did. And um, I think it turned out pretty good. I, I don't think you can replace the energy exchange of in-person, but let us know what you thought. I think the sound quality was pretty a-okay. I guess I'm not such a bad sound engineer after all. But thank you everyone for your support. One of the best things you can do to give the show a boost is to leave a review on iTunes. Thank you, Lauren and Matt, for your updated review. Also, if there is an episode that you feel like will be to the benefit of someone in your network, then you can do this super simple thing called hit the share button. Yeah, that's all it takes. But seriously, you guys, we are in deep thanks for every time you choose to tap into your higher self through the YTP. Okay, until next week, I got a little bit of a challenge for you. Can you watch yourself closely? Can you watch for the finger pointing and the blame? Can you be on high alert for the victim energy that is directed by the ego to consume us? We are powerful beings, you guys. Our potential is off the charts, yet most people are operating at the very base level. I know it sounds crazy, but it's true. So ask yourself, truthfully, are you living awake and ready?